people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. Okay, so Jesus is, here's the context. Jesus is known as a friend of what? A friend of sinners. He's, he's willing to hang out with people. Uh, we're told here that these tax collectors, these notorious sinners, love to come and listen to him teach, even eating with them. The Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, kind of the, the religious uh, police officers of the day, are upset with that. And so the, the key word here, verse 3, is so Jesus tells them this story. Verse 4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Key verse, verse 7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now join me for prayer. Father, today we're going to look at a story that your son Jesus told a group of spiritual people, people who loved you, people who wanted to grow in their relationship with you, people who are probably a lot like those of us here gathered in this auditorium today. And Father, in this story, Jesus was trying to make a point. And the point is that lost people matter to you. And so I pray today that as we unpack this story and as we think about our own relationships, we think about our family, as we think about our friends, that you will bring to mind today those people who we might be called to seek out, much like this shepherd did here in this story. So Spirit, we're here to learn, we're here to grow, we're here to be changed by your touch. And so we pray that you do that and that you do it that right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, here's the big idea that we're going to unpack together today. I've already mentioned it in my prayer, and that is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. Now, church, how would you define or differentiate these two terms? Spiritual religious. Is there a difference in your mind? Spiritual, religious. You know, this past week I came across a survey that stated that the vast majority of Americans claim that they are spiritual but not religious. And so I'm interested in knowing how you would define these or really differentiate maybe between these two terms, religious and spiritual. And so just, I'm going to give you three different uh, questions here this morning that I want you to discuss with the people sitting around you. So if you're not sitting next to somebody, run over to somebody. And just, just right now between the, th the few of you, define that. How would you differentiate between those terms, spiritual and religious? Okay, that's a starting question, number one. Go. We're trying to differentiate the difference between spiritual 
and religious. So Derek, jump up back there with Mike and you guys talk about that, okay? Maria, feel free to do the same. Spiritual, religious. Okay, now come back for a second. When we look at these individuals here in, in Luke chapter 15, in the story that we just read, right? Based upon your definition and your group discussion, you can talk a little bit more about this. What label would you give to the tax collectors and the other notorious sinners? Are they spiritual or are they religious? And in the same way, what label or, or would you give maybe the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law in this story? Are they spiritual? Are they religious? Okay, go. Luke 15. Who's who? Okay, now last question, one more, All right? Can a person be both spiritual and religious? Can a person be both spiritual and religious, or do you only, can you only be one? Okay, so for example, was Jesus spiritual? Was Jesus religious? Was Jesus both. So talk about it. Can a person be both spiritual and religious, or do you have to only be one? Go. What do you think? Luke 15, this is where we're at, Luke 15. Okay, so come back together. So for the sake of our conversation this morning, this is how I'm going to define these two terms, okay? So we're all kind of on the same page. Whether you agree with me or not, this is, this is going to be sort of the foundation. In my thinking, a person who is spiritual is somebody who has a desire to have a relationship with their creator God. Now, they may not know it or not, but there's that desire there. And so a person in my thinking who is spiritual will seek inward wholeness and they will often pursue that inward kind of wholeness or peace through a number of different venues. Some of my people might go to the beach, right? In the survey, 71% of people said that they listen to music, which is very helpful for them kind of being their spiritual pursuit. Sometimes people will spend time with their friends, they will spend time alone. I think a person who is spiritual has a void in their soul, and whether they are aware of it or not, they are designing, they are desiring to be in tune with themselves and with their creator. Okay, so that's how I'm defining spiritual. Whereas religious, to me, 
emphasizes maybe the activities or the habits that one might practice to develop that relationship with God or to fill that void in a person's heart. You know, in our culture, and especially in Jesus's culture, which is really always important to understand what the context of, of what was happening in that day, is that in Jesus's culture, a person to, who was considered religious would commonly practice habits that were associated with the church, right? Attending worship services, praying, reading the Bible, going to confession. Those would be considered religious activities. And so when I view this Bible story, in my thinking, I think the tax collectors and the, uh, the other notorious sinners that we read about here in, in the first few verses, they, in my definition, were spiritual. They had a spiritual thirst. They had a desire to have a relationship with their creator, God, which was evidenced by the fact that they loved hanging out with Jesus. They loved listening to him do what? Teach. And what did Jesus teach about? God. God's love for them, right? They love to have a meal shared. The Bible says they broke bread together. But because of their lifestyle and perhaps a, perhaps a lack of religious activities in their week, weekly routine, they were not considered religious. And because of that, the spiritual leaders of their, of their day avoided them, didn't they? And they viewed them as people who were outside the scope of God's love and interest, which, interest, which from God's, Jesus' perspective is what we would call a false narrative. And so what Jesus, in this story, verse 3, he says, so he tells them the story. And the whole point of Jesus' narrative is to reinforce the truth that people matter to God, even those who choose not to darken the door of their local church. Let that sink in, okay? So Jesus tells us a story. And in this story, there's three things that I think that I want to invite you to consider this morning and then apply to this kind of a homework assignment that I'm going to give you and me to practice this coming week, okay? So write this down, point number one in your notes. Jesus challenges me to take responsibility. Here in this Bible story out of Luke chapter 15, I think Jesus challenges me to take responsibility for my circle of friends. I think it's safe for us to assume that the tax collectors and other notorious sinners here in Luke 15 were Jewish. How can we assume that? Why can we assume that? It's because Jesus was very clear in his ministry that his disciples were to minister to only the Jews. Jesus said, I came only for the Jews. And so we can assume that this, these tax collectors and these notorious sinners were Jewish, which means they had likely been raised with a spiritual upbringing, maybe even a religious upbringing. I think it's safe for us to assume, based upon the Jewish culture, that many of them likely had been taught the Ten Commandments. It's quite likely that many of them, I mean, you don't become a tax collector without some mental proclivities. You've got to be a sharp person to understand things. And so the people, the young boys, before they were the age of, like, before they had their bar mitzvah 13, many of them could quote by memory the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's what we call the Pentateuch. And so these, these religious leaders, they, I mean, these, these, these sinners, they, they, they knew what the Bible was, or at least maybe at one point they did. 
I think many of them likely had parents who were regular attenders at the local synagogue, but because of life and because of their life priorities, the Jewish synagogue was no longer an important part of their life rhythm. They were spiritual, but they were not religious, which is why the religious, religious leaders frowned down upon them, right? And they viewed them as sinners. They viewed them as people to avoid. And so Jesus, recognizing this reality, he tells us a story that involves a shepherd and one lost sheep. And really the message of this story is to communicate to you and to me that lost people matter to God. To communicate, really, the broader picture is that everyone matters to God. So here's the application for you and me this morning. I want you to think about or take inventory, if you will, this morning of the people in your life who have been part of your spiritual journey. I want you to think about the people in your life. Just, just kind of cycle through your thoughts today. All those people that you have, if you're a churchgoer, and you are because you're sitting here today, who are the people that you've gone to church with over the years? Maybe they're not here anymore because maybe you've gone in different directions. Think about the people that some of you have been in a Bible study with or, or some kind of a small group where you were pursuing God together. Maybe you were on a church softball team or, or whatever the case may be. Who are those people who have been a part of your spiritual journey, part of your church fellowship, if you will? Specifically, I want you to think of the people who the Pharisees might view as now being part of the tax collectors. So think about the people in your life who have been, you've been in church activities with, maybe you've grown up together, but now think about, I want you to think about, of those group of people, think about those individuals who are no longer a part of the church, if you will. Anybody come to mind? Can you think of anybody who maybe has walked away from the church? They still love God, maybe. They still have a desire to, to have a relationship with him, but this part of their life, the religious part, the church part, the Bible study part, maybe even the, the disciplined part of, of reading the Bible is not a part. Anybody come to your mind who we would consider, who the Pharisees would consider, who have fallen away from the church? I want you to jot down their name in the margin of your notes, okay? So the Lord brings people to your mind, and we're not being judgmental. We're simply being observatory, okay? Just look. Just think about the people. It could be a son. Or it could be a daughter. Or it could be a parent. It could be the person who maybe introduced you to Jesus yourself, but now they just life has just gotten busy for them. Their career has taken off. They have other priorities in their life, and no longer is the church, and maybe no longer is God to some degree, part of their life. Because according to this Bible story, those are the people in Jesus' mind who have wandered away from the flock, right? God, it seems, isn't a big priority in their life right now. Maybe the world and all its pleasures are pulling them away. And here's the truth that Jesus invites you and me to embrace. He wants you and he wants me to consider ourselves to be the good shepherd in this story. And what Jesus is saying to you and what he is saying to me is he is challenging us to take responsibility for those who have wandered away spiritually. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't forget about them. Why? Because lost people matter to God. Okay? 
Point number two. I think that the second thing that Jesus challenges you and me to think about today as it relates to this story is he challenges us to be relentless. Be relentless. Jesus calls you and me to be relentless in our searching efforts. Now, with a show of hands, and every hand should probably be raised, how many of you ever lost something or misplaced something? Anybody? Yeah, we all have. You know, this past Thursday night, just a few days ago, I got this text message uh, on my phone from my niece, Lauren. Lauren's a student at Biola University. She lives up in, in La Mirada. And she said, Uncle Mike, uh, Ken Josiah, which is her boyfriend, she said, Ken Josiah and I borrow from you a couple of surfboards. We want to we wanna go to the beach. And so how do you think I responded? I said, no way. I don't, I don't like Josiah. I don't want you spending any time with him. No, you cannot use borrow two surfboards. That's, that's not what I said. I said, sure, you can, you can borrow two surfboards. I said, but here's the deal. I haven't touched my surfboards in five years, Lauren. Uh, I'm going to have to find them. They're in the, in the garage somewhere because since I got a mo my motorcycles, that's all I've been riding. And so the next morning, she said, well, can we come by tomorrow morning at 8.15? And I said, sure, I'll make sure I'm home. And, and, and so uh, 8 o'clock, well, 7.30, I went out to the garage and I started looking for these two surfboards that Lauren and Josiah could use. Well, early on Friday morning, as I, I finally found the boards, and I knew where they were at. They were in some surfboard bags that I have alongside the, 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 the side of our garage on the in, inside. One of the things I realized right away is that I had taken off the skags. Does everybody know what a skag is? A skag is the fin. And so I have these two huge boards. They're 11 feet, 6 inches tall. They're amazing for riding boards, just waves, especially if you're a beginner. But I had taken the skags off because they, they, you know, they get in the way and stuff, and I didn't know where they were. I sort of had an idea where they might be, but a surfboard without fins, a surfboard without skags, in the words of Beto is, well, not in the words of Beto and me, no bueno. No bueno. Okay. And then when I unzipped and opened the surf bag, uh, surfboard bag in which they were stored, I also realized that the surfboard leashes were missing. Again, no bueno. And I had no idea where they were. And so like the shepherd in our Bible story who searched for the one lamb who had wandered away, I tore apart our garage in an effort to try to find two skags and two surfboard leashes. I looked in the closet shelves that line both sides of our garage. I got out the eight-foot stepladder and climbed up into the rafters to dig through some plastic bins where I store my surfboards and fins and snorkeling gear and, you know, water stuff. I looked into some walkers that have been staged in, in our, our garage, uh, some walkers that we got from Clarence. They're, they're super cool. They're these, these athletic walkers. But now instead of, you know what, I store in them, don't you? Motorcycle stuff, right? Uh, and, and, and hunting stuff. That's, that's where they started. Well, that's where I looked. Church, here's what I want you to do. No, I was relentless. In my effort to provide my niece and her boyfriend with the necessary equipment that she would need to have a fun and safe outing out on in Newport Beach on the Newport coast with Josiah, I did everything I possibly could to locate the lost year. I was relentless. Church, have you ever lost 
something? Have you ever torn apart your house to find it? And when you do find it, how do you feel? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the words of Belgadino, you feel so good. Let's hear it, Beto. How do you feel? So good. So good. And that's what Jesus tells us here, right? In, in, in this Bible story, he says, after seeking the lost sheep that had wandered away from the flock of the 99, after searching relentlessly for this lost lamb and then finding it, Jesus tells us that the shepherd joyfully puts the shoulder, puts, the, puts this lamb on his shoulder. I, I envision in my mind wrapping you know, the legs around his, his neck so he has something to hold on to. And as he carried it home, how do you think that shepherd felt? What does the Bible say? He felt joyful after his hard, relentless pursuit. So much so that we're told that this shepherd did what? Called together his friends and his family and his neighbors and he invites them to, to rejoice with him because what was lost had been found. The lost sheep made it back home safely into the fold. So again, I want you to think about this. In your life, who do you know who has wandered away from the flock? Who do you know who may have been at one point in their life, just observing them because of the impact they may have had, were super committed in their relationship with God, but now have drifted away and they may be perhaps in the pursuit of other things? And the question I feel that I'm asking you to consider is, will you chase after them? Will you seek them? Will you pursue them like the shepherd who left the 99 to find the one? Will you seek one? Friends, here in this Bible story, Jesus emphasizes the truth that lost people matter to God. And he invites you and me to take responsibility for those who have drifted. He invites you, he challenges you and me to pursue them relentlessly. Why? Point number three, it's because Jesus reminds us of heaven's priority, doesn't he? Jesus reminds us, point number three in your notes, of heaven's priority. What does Jesus say is heaven's response when a lost person is found? How does, how does heaven react when a wayward person is brought back into the fold? We're told here that heaven does what? They rejoice, don't they? Heaven celebrates. Heaven throws a party, a huge party, when one lost sinner returns to God. And so, brothers and sisters, here's my invitation for you this week, is do you want to put a smile on God's face? Do I? Then seek one. Relentlessly pursue one and carry them back to God. So again, I ask you, who do you know who has wandered away. So some of you hopefully have written the names of a few people on the margin of your notes. It could be the name again of a son or a daughter. It could be a coworker. It could be a former leader in the church. Maybe some of you have been a part of a church where, where the pastor fell. Pastors are not prone to be sinless. We have weaknesses too. Maybe you know somebody who once led worship on stage here, but because of choices and stuff, they just fell away. Robin and I reached out, I reached out to someone this, just this past week and I, to, to, to inquire about something. And I learned that this person uh, 
fell prey once again to his habit of addiction. Heroin, cocaine, whatever the case may be, and he's fallen away. The world has grabbed a hold of him. And so guess what I'm going to try to do this coming week? Guess who's the one I'm going to seek out this week? It'll be him. Who are the people in your life who you know who have fallen away? Who in your life would you think represent the one? Who's on the fringe? Maybe they left the flock. Maybe church is no longer a priority for them. My question is, will you seek them out? Will you try to have a lunch, a bite to eat with them like Jesus did? Will you take some time to listen to their story as to why they have wandered, wandered away? One last invitation. Seven weeks from now, and I think this is really starting to kind of impact me in a big way, but seven weeks from now, on November the 2nd, which is a Saturday night, we as a church are going to celebrate on Saturday night here on campus our 20th birthday. The month of October of 1999, this church was birthed. A group of us felt God bleeding us. We took this retreat up in the, uh, the mountains at Big Bear, and it was out of that retreat in October of 1999 that we said, let's go. Let's be involved in reaching out the for the flock, the lost people of the flock. 20 years ago, can you believe that? But Palmar Church has been going at this. My hair was black, Millie, when I first started this journey. And so on the, on the Saturday night, the, the 2nd, November the 2nd, we're going to have a party. We're going to do it out on the, on, the, on the playground area. We're going to have the band. In fact, we learned that it just coincides with falling back, the, the, the daylight savings time where the, you know, we have to turn our clocks back and we lose an hour. And so uh, we're just not even going to have service on Sunday morning probably because most people sleep in anyway. <laughs> But we're just going to have a really great celebration service on November the 2nd. And here's my thing I want you to consider in, in, in the context of this conversation this morning. Who do you know who has fallen away? Who do you know maybe who has, is, is, was once part of the church, was really important, God was an important part of their life, but for whatever reason they've, they've drifted. Maybe our November 2nd Palm Harvest Church party might be an event that you could consider inviting them to. You know, in the early days of our church, when I was really involved in, in the Chamber of Commerce here in Costa Mesa, along with Lisa and Jerry and a few others who are, are, are part of our church family, we, I used to always have this tagline. I would, well, you know, introduce everybody and say, hey, I'm Pastor Mike. Say, hello, Pastor Mike. And they'd say, hello, Pastor Mike. Or I'm Mike Decker. They'd say, hello, Mike Decker. And I'd say, I'm from Palm Harvest Church. We're a church for people who have given up on church. We're a church for people who have given up on church. Remember that, Lisa? That's what we would say. Who do you know in your life who has given up on church? Anybody come to mind? Will you seek them out this week? Maybe in the context of the next six weeks as you strive to just reach out to them and maybe invite them out for a bite and say, hey, what's going on and how you doing and catching up. Maybe an easy ask might be, hey, you know what? Our church is celebrating our 20th birthday. It's kind of a big deal. We're going to have this really low-key outdoor fun event, would you consider joining me? Would you consider joining us? You know, I think the biggest part of the story that I want you and I to embrace today is the truth that nobody is outside the scope of God's love, right? 
We've all wandered away. We all wandered away. And I, don't, I think that's the good news of the story is that Jesus never gives up on us. And I don't know what kind of what challenges or, or, or mistakes or you know, regrets that you might be haunted with in your life from time to time. You know, you know God's forgiving you. You know, you know God loves you. But I just want to remind you again that when those, when those lies that the devil brings up and says that you're not good enough or you're not, you're not uh, valued, I just want you to remember the truth that Jesus loves you and that lost people matter to God and that God honestly rejoices more for the person who's away and comes back than those of us who are here every week, which is okay. So who do you know who is away? And will you, like the shepherd this week, with God's help, seek one? Hi, my name is Melissa Pena. Thanks for joining our online Palm Harvest community. We'd love to connect with you. If there's a specific way that we can pray for you, please send us your prayer requests at prayer at palmharvest.com. If you'd like to support our ministry, please text us at 84321. Thanks again. God bless.